Well, good morning, Hilton Head Island Community Church. I hope you're doing well. For those of you I don't know, my name's Pastor Todd. I'm really glad that uh, you are connected here today or whenever you're watching this um, during this time of isolation. Thank you so much. Uh, for your commitment to be connected in the life of your church. And um, if you are someone who's kind of new to us, I'm glad that you've joined in um, as well. And I hope you're staying healthy. I hope you're staying home. And I hope you're staying uh, safe as you can possibly and healthy as you possibly can be. I want to let you know about something that's uh, happening in the life of our church. And uh, it's happening virtually, of course, right now. Um, we are kicking off Starting Point, which uh, kicks off tomorrow. Uh, it kicks off at uh, 6.30 p.m. online, and uh, I want to encourage those of you who may be uh, skeptics or you may be seeking or returning to the faith, and you have questions. This is the environment for you to ask them. I'm going to be leading this. It's going to be on Zoom. Um, Zoom has become our best friend, hasn't it? Uh, and so we're going to be doing that on Zoom, and you can find the Zoom room number uh, online. You can go to our website and find the uh, what's happening, go to what's happening or events, and you will find the number there. And I'd love for you, um, if you have questions about the faith um, and about your faith walk and about this whole idea of Christianity and Jesus, I want to encourage you to be a part of Starting Point. It is a great class. It's being host, I'm, I'm hosting it each week for the next eight weeks on Monday nights. Uh, and also, uh, the people who are going to be joining me are my good friends, Scott and Patrice Smith, who um, really have some great experience in leading this class. So I want to encourage you to be a part of Starting Point coming up. All right, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to John chapter 21. John chapter 21, and I want you to turn there this morning. Uh, we are in week three of our series called After Effects, what happened in the, the world and in Jesus' life in those 40 days, actually 50 days, we're taking a look at it from a 50-day view, after Easter the resurrection, after the resurrection, what happened um, in the world and what happened was really vital for what, you know, would happen in the years to come, in the centuries to come, what's going on right now. It is vital for what's going on right now, and it's vital for you, and it's vital for me in our faith walk. Um, God decided that he would show the world that he had risen from the dead by sending Jesus back to this earth to spend 40 days, he spent 40 days here, he would appear to over 500 people, and I love, and you're going to see it today, that Jesus met people where they needed to be met. He dealt with their issues, whatever those issues were, the way that they needed to be dealt with. And it's amazing that Jesus was so incredibly in tune with what they needed. And he's in tune with what you need today. He's in tune with everything that's going on with your life. And he's brought you to this place specifically for today. And so I'm excited that you're here. Now, um, Jesus appeared to different people. And the first people that he appeared to, we're actually going to be talking about next week on Mother's Day. Um, but there was someone who quickly came came to the grave on that resurrection Sunday after these women came and discovered that the grave was empty, and that was a couple of disciples, but one of them was Peter. And Peter was um, one of kind of the inner circle with 
Jesus. He, he knew Jesus very well. He was a successful Galilean fisherman. Jesus had recruited him when he recruited James and John and Andrew uh, near the Sea of Galilee. And these, these, all, these men were all very familiar with the fishing industry as they had uh, businesses as well. And Peter's conversion was, was radical in that um, he changed from uh, someone who, who probably just was about his business and about himself to someone who was passionate for Jesus. It, he would have been the first one, and he often was the first one, to open his mouth in a room. He walked in mouth first. Um, he was the one who was impetuous. He was impulsive. When Jesus said to do something, he was the first to speak up. He was that kid in the class that raises his hand first, like when a question's asked. Um, but he often, like, led, because he led with his mouth, he often got into trouble. This was a guy who was kind of like the type A, but he was the life of the party personality. And even though he was greatly passionate for Jesus, he also stumbled a few times. Do you know anyone like that? Are you maybe anyone? I'm raising my hand higher. Anyone like that who often um, makes a lot of mistakes because of the things that they say? That was Peter. And Peter followed Jesus, and he was passionate about it. But it's interesting, of all the disciples, um, Jesus predicted in the days before Jesus' death, he predicted that Peter, Simon Peter, um, would deny him three times. And specifically, he predicted that Peter would deny Jesus three times. That I'm going to call it rejected, right? He would reject Jesus three times, and then a rooster would crow. And, and in that conversation, um, Peter tried to deny that Jesus was right about that. I, I just love this, this great picture of this man who loved Jesus, but he was really impetuous, and he often got it wrong. Um, he was a little bit like the phrase Mike Tyson, the old boxer who kind of led with his mouth a lot. He said, everyone has a strategy until you get punched in the face. And that was Peter's, like, that was his MO. Man, he just, like, you know, the wheels came off of everything um, when things got bad. And so Peter is faced with this, this prediction of denial. And I wonder if what happened next in Peter's life maybe caused him to kind of pull away from Jesus. A little bit later, they find themselves in the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus is there, and some of the other disciples are there. And the Romans are closing in on Jesus. They're prepared to arrest him and, and falsely try him and put him, uh, sentence him to death by crucifixion. They were prepared to put him on a cross. And there they are in the Garden of Gethsemane. And these Roman soldiers are coming in. They're pressing in. That's what Gethsemane means, by the way, the place of the press. And so they were pressing in on Jesus. And, and Peter, I would imagine that in this moment, in the garden, on, on that evening, um, I would imagine that he was like, here's my chance. Here's my chance to prove Jesus' prediction wrong. I'm going to do something about these guards. And he pulls out his sword, and he cuts off the ear of one of the Roman soldiers. And Jesus' response is so loving and so caring. He reaches down. I can't imagine the scene, but he picks up the ear. And in that moment, he heals the ear of that Roman soldier who's about ready to arrest him and take him and put him on trial. And then they take him away. And that would have been the last time that Peter probably saw Jesus. And I wonder if in that moment, Peter was 
Like, man, I'm going to prove Jesus wrong. I'm going to show the other disciples. I'm going to show the world how passionate I am. And Jesus in that moment, instead of like pulling away from the soldier and running out of Gethsemane with the disciples into their freedom, he chooses to walk into his arrest by healing this Roman soldier. And I wonder if Peter in that moment thought, you know, I think I'm done. I just think I'm done. And that was the scene that we have of Peter before Jesus' death. This man who maybe he rushed to the tomb that day because he wanted to see if it had all been real. Because in those days that followed Jesus' arrest and trial and death, he was wondering if it all was real. Now if we fast forward to Jesus, possibly a few weeks later after the resurrection, he's in Galilee and Jesus, or, uh, uh, Peter is decided to go out on his fishing boat at night. And Peter was very, very familiar with the Sea of Galilee. It's also in your Bible, it might be called the Sea of Tiberias. And, and he would have been very familiar with where they were, the exact location they were. He would have understood what needed to be done to bring in a great haul of fish. And so he's out on the boat that night, and things don't go well. He fished all night long, and they produce nothing. The disciples, some of the other disciples, were in another boat, or possibly even two, and, and they were producing nothing at all. Now, um, at this point in time, I would imagine that things were probably unraveling for Peter in a lot of ways. I mean, the one that he had just followed is dead, and now his body has been taken, or something happened, or maybe he did rise again from the dead. Maybe he was the Messiah. Maybe he wasn't. And I would imagine in, in Peter's mind, things are beginning to unravel, and he spends a whole night out on his boat trying to provide for his business, provide for his family, and they get nothing. The very thing that he knew best the thing that he was an expert at, the thing that he was probably head and shoulders better than other people, he was failing at. He had failed that night. And they produced nothing that night. And it's in that scene that we come to John chapter 21, and we're going to take a look at selected verses in this chapter to paint the picture of what happened in Jesus's, the days after Jesus' resurrection and his appearance to these disciples. Check out verses four through six. Just as day was breaking, this has been all night that they had been out on the water, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, I love this phrase, he said, children, do you have any fish? I love that Jesus, first of all, called them children. And then I also love that Jesus said, do you have any fish? Knowing very well and good that they didn't have any fish. And they answered him, and they said no. And he said this to them. He said, cast the nets on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. Now, I love this story for so many different reasons, but I love this part of the story because um, what we see here is one act of faith on behalf of the disciples, and we see two acts of faith that we're going to see in a moment on Peter's behalf. And, and in this moment of being, being out there on the, the lake that night, being on the Sea of Galilee that night, um, they were fishing on the left side of the boat, and their nets were empty all night long. 
And there's this man that they don't recognize. I want you to capture the fact that at first they didn't recognize him. He's on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. I would imagine there's probably a fire pit with a little bit of smoke coming up from something. Maybe a few people gathered behind as the sun began to rise that morning. And he's within at least shouting distance of these men out on the boat who are completely failing at what they're best at. And he tells them, take those nets from one side of the boat to the other and you will catch some fish. And the first act I think that we see of great faith that's kind of hidden here is the disciples' willingness to quickly change the side of the boat. Now, I'm not a fisherman, but if I had been out there, I don't know anything about anything, but if I had been out there and I had been out there all night and this guy on the side of the shore was yelling out, just take the nets and take them from one side of the boat and put them on the other side of the boat and you'll find some fish, I would have thought to myself, that's crazy. And it's, it's like ridiculous that you would ask that. It's not going to work. The same fish that aren't there are going to be not there, right? Like, how is that little difference, how is that going to make a huge difference? And yet in that moment, when they hear the words of obedience and instruction, they just do it. They just act. At this point in time, they weren't even sure who the man was on the side of Galilee, but they go ahead and they do what he said, and it produces a huge quantity of fish. The last recorded miracle of Jesus. And they have this great hall. They have this huge hall that can hardly even contain the nets. And we see this great act of faith that in, despite the fact that the, the advice that Jesus was giving them, they might have thought was pointless or ridiculous, they did it anyway. And Maybe today you find yourself frustrated because the thing that you're an expert at, the thing that you feel like you know so well, and are secure in, and have had, a, you have, have had years of education for, and experience in, and you've built up to it, and it's not working, and maybe it's your fault it's not working, or maybe it's the coronavirus, seven weeks of it, that it's not working, and you are at your wits end. Sometimes it takes one small act of obeying in the dark to find that he is the one that can bring you the success. He's the one that can provide the hull just on the other side of the boat. And we see this great but small act of faith on the part of the disciples. Check out verse seven, I love this. The disciple whom Jesus loved, that was John by the way. The disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, and I love this, he says, it is the Lord. As soon as he sees the hall, as soon as he sees the quantity of fish that they had by one act of, uh, one, one word, one piece of advice from this man on the shore, John realizes it's Jesus and he gives voice to that. He says, it is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and he threw himself into the sea. I love this picture of Peter. Man, he just... Again, he just led with his mouth. He was just so out there. He was just so, he was just raw and gritty. And he's out there on the boat. He's out there fishing. He's trying to do this thing that's going to bring he and his, um, you know, his, uh, his associates income. 
and, and nothing's working, and then Jesus says these words, and then John says, yes, it's Jesus, and, and Peter in a moment realizes that he had basically stripped down. In fact, some, um, some versions of the Bible say that he was naked. He, he had stripped down to almost nothing, probably because of the heat and the hard work, and, and he didn't want to be encumbered by that outer garment. And in that moment, this is the second act of faith. It's by Peter. He realizes that it's Jesus just by the words of John. He realizes it's Jesus and he decides, right now I'm not presentable. I'm going to put on my outer garment. And then the third act of faith, that third act of obedience, if you will, it's the second one of Peter, with that outer garment on, knowing that he could swim without it better than he could with it, he dives into the sea. Again, we've got that impulsive, impetuous, quick to decide uh, kind of version of Peter, and he swims towards the shore to see his rabbi, to see Jesus. And in that moment when he decides to put that outer garment on, he knows that he's going to have an encounter with Jesus. And then when he jumps into the sea, that third act of obedience, that third act of faith, he knows that he's going to see his Savior. I love that he makes himself presentable. I love that kind of unbridled passion of him diving into the sea to go see Jesus when he realized who it was, the passion that had left him when he was asked three times that night, do you know him? Are you associated with him? Are you with him? And he denied, and he denied, and he denied. In an instant, when he knew it was Jesus, it was back. His passion for Jesus returned. His love for Jesus had been renewed, and he dives into the sea. Let's take a look at what Jesus does. I love this, John 21, verses 10 through 12. This is great. Jesus said to them, he says, bring some of the fish that you just caught. I love that. Just bring some of those fish over here. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled in the net. He hauled it in ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. This was a huge, huge thing for them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. A small miracle within a larger miracle, right, right there in Jesus' last recorded miracle. And in verse 12, Jesus says to them, come <laughs> and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Now some of these disciples had previously encountered Jesus there in that room in that, that house uh, just a, maybe a week or so before and again eight days later. But in that moment when they jumped out of the boat and, and they came ashore and Peter grabs those nets and, and in his passion tries to bring those nets so that Jesus and them can have a little breakfast, a little fish fillet breakfast. Um, I love Jesus in that moment, in that moment where, where these who have denied him those who have turned him in, one of them had turned him in for 30 pieces of silver. He, he was gone because he had had enough and, and decided that he would be done with life. Um, the one who denied him, these, these men who had been with Jesus now had rejected Jesus. And at seeing them, he says, hey, let's have breakfast together. Let's have breakfast together. Come bring some of the fish so that we can have breakfast. See, Jesus was wanting to restore the relationship that he once had with them. His act of 
a death on the cross, willingly going to that cross, dying for our sins, rising again three days later so that we can have life. He did that for you so that you can have salvation when you die one day, so that you can spend eternity with God one day, that he, he did that to forgive you of your sins. But I want you to know that Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection wasn't just for, for the salvation that we receive after this life is over, he also did it so that we could be restored to God right here and right now. And I love that he accepts us. I love that he accepts us. Despite Peter's failure, despite the fact that he had denied him three times despite his impulsive personality and his mouth that walked in before he did, despite the fact that Peter was the kind of guy who, who shot before he aimed or got ready, Jesus loved him. And in the face of Peter's rejection, Jesus accepted him. And I want you to know that in the face of your decision to reject Jesus, Jesus has already accepted you. He's already accepted me. In the face of our denial and rejection of him, however severe that may be for us, whether it's something like Peter did or something less in our minds, he's accepted us already. He's accepted us already. He's chosen to accept us Irregardless of our past, he's actually chosen to accept us maybe because of our past. He's chosen to accept us no matter how great or how small or significant or insignificant our sin is. He has chosen to accept us. And if I'm really honest with you today, part of my problem and I think part of our problems as, as Christ followers or hum, humans in in general, is the fact that we can't believe that Jesus would accept us with our dirty hands and with our past. And I don't know how this actually went, but I would imagine that as Peter swam towards Jesus, he probably put on his outer garment, jumped into the sea that day, and he began to swim towards Jesus. And about halfway there, I would imagine that the evil one started whispering in Peter's ear, you're not enough. You're the one that denied him. You're the one that in his greatest hour of need wasn't there for him. Peter, you don't have what it takes. You're not good enough. You're not worthy. You shouldn't be swimming towards Jesus. You should turn in the other direction because he is going to reject you. And that's what the evil one does to us. It's what he does to me and it's what he does to you. He reminds us all the time of our past. And he whispers it in our ear. And if we believe it halfway to the shore, we're going to take off that cloak and we're going to turn back around and we're never going to give Jesus the opportunity to give us the second chance that he is willing to give us because he's already accepting. He's already accepted us. I want to challenge you right now whether you're a Christ follower or whether you're a doubter or a skeptic, 
And if you say to yourself, there's just no possible way that God, I can't believe that God accepts me with what I've done. I'm gonna ask you to do something for a moment. I'm gonna ask you to suspend your disbelief for a moment. And at least consider the possibility that he has already accepted you. Even when your closest friends have rejected you, even when your parents have rejected you, even when your kids and your family have rejected you, even maybe when society has rejected you for what you've done, he has accepted you, regardless of what you've done. And you see, embracing his acceptance in the face of our rejection, that's the key that unlocks our ability to see him and to know him. I wonder what would have happened in Peter's life if as, as he was swimming to the shore, if the enemy was whispering those things. I, I, I wonder what would have happened if he had given an ear to the enemy on that issue. I wonder what would have happened because Peter ended up being useful in the first church and his first step back towards that after denying Jesus was to be willing to entertain the idea that he was accepted by the one that he had denied. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He doesn't stop there. He goes on and he does something even greater. Check out verses 15 through 17. I love this. When they had finished breakfast, they were done eating. It was, you know, it, was, it was time to be done eating. Jesus said to Simon Peter, he addresses him individually, and he wants to speak to him individually. He calls him out by name. Have you ever had to go to the principal's office, like over the PA system, and they announce your name, and they're like, hey, you need to report to the principal's office? And you're like, oh, man, I've been caught. They got me. They found out what I did, or I didn't do it or denying it, or whatever it may be, but you hear the words of your name being called out, and all of a sudden you have that sinking feeling. I'm sure that's what Peter was going through. Here he goes. I know he's welcomed us to breakfast. We've had a nice little fish breakfast, but now's the time that he's going to tell me what I've done, and he's going to judge me, and he's going to condemn me, but look what Jesus does. He says to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? By the way, what a great question to ask a guy like Peter. Because you know what you're not going to get an answer to from a guy like Peter? You're not going to get a no. You're not going to get a no. He asks him that question to provoke him to really allow that to sink in. Like, do you really, do you really love me? And then he adds more than these. And Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you the one who had just denied him weeks earlier or days earlier, the one who had denied him three times, he was saying, you know that I love you. That's what we do to Jesus sometimes, don't we? We deny him on one hand, and then when we're face to face with him, we go, oh, yeah, yeah, I love you. I love you. I love you, Jesus. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to this man who had rejected him, who had denied him, he says to him, then feed my lambs feed my lambs. Verse 16, he said to him a second time, he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, then tend my sheep. And then a third time, symbolic, right? 
A third time in verse 17, he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? He realized that there was a reason that Jesus was asking him. And all in in a moment, in a moment, the symbolism of him asking him three times and Peter previously having denied him three times, it all came together. And he said, Lord, you know everything. An admission to Jesus that you know I denied you. But he also says, you know that I do love you. I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. You see, Jesus wasn't just in the business of reconciling sinners back to himself. He wasn't just in the business of of giving us sinners salvation, but Jesus was also in the business of restoring them, and he is in the business of restoring us back to a place where we can be used by him. Although we may reject Jesus, he is willing to reconcile us to him, but he's also willing to take it up a notch and restore us to be used for his purpose. I don't know about you, but over the past seven weeks, there have been many moments. I don't know whether it's isolation or lack of focus or occasionally boredom or just lack of interaction with other people. There have been times over these past few weeks that I've just wondered what is God doing in all of this? What is he doing with his church, capital C? What is he doing with his church here on Hilton Head Island? What is he doing with me? Are we ever going to be able to reopen again? And we don't know the answer to that question. Are we going to ever be able to re-engage with our community? We don't know the answer to that question. It's been seven weeks. We're into, I think we're into our eighth week. And we don't know the answer to that question. And I would imagine that there are some of you who are asking that question, and maybe you're asking it because of what's going on right now in our world, but maybe you're also asking it because of your past. And for you, if you could just rewind your past, life would get a lot better. If you could just undo on your own merit what you've done to get to the point where you have guilt and shame and you feel like God can't accept you. It's an old story about the police of Coeur d'Alene, um, Idaho, who were called in an, into a neighborhood after people were complaining about a car driving around that neighborhood fast at a high rate of speed and in reverse. And they showed up and they pulled this car over and they confronted the person that was driving the car and it was, it was a teenage girl. And they said, ma'am, why are you driving so fast and why in the world are you driving backwards? And she answered with, well, I stayed out too late last night and I drove too many miles on my parents' car. They let me use it, but I could only use it for so many miles. And I figured if I drove backwards, I could rewind those miles and go back in those miles so my parents wouldn't see what I had done in the past. I think a lot of us are are like that. We think that we can undo, redo, cover over, somehow in our own merit, restore the things that are in our past. And I want you to know today that there's no rewinding the things that we've done to disappoint him in the past. And that's good news because he offers us acceptance 
already. He offers us restoration right now. He offers us reconciliation immediately. And his desire is that you walk in that acceptance and that you are one day used in a miraculous way by him. The rest of the story, as Paul Harvey used to say, is is that Peter became one of the fathers of the first church. He's right there in the beginning of Acts, preaches an amazing message in Acts chapter 2, 1 and 2, and it's amazing that God uses him. It's amazing what God does with him. Dies a martyr's death. All because Jesus accepted him. All because this man who was impetuous and made very rash decisions decided that he would embrace the acceptance of Jesus. That he had been given a second chance and he knew it. And he walked in that second chance and the freedom and the grace of that second chance. And Christ follower or someone who's not a Christ follower yet, maybe it's time for you to walk in the freedom of the second chance that Jesus has given you. I'm going to ask our worship team and our band to come on up here. I'm going to ask you if you would join me in a word of prayer this morning. And I just want to ask you this morning, are you at the end of your rope? Is the thing that you've been trying to succeed at or succeed in, is it not working? Have you tried and tried and tried on your own, in your own experience, with your own education, with your own resume and your academic background and all the experience that you have built over the years? Is it not working? Why not give Jesus a chance? Maybe you're listening today and you're live, or maybe it's later in the week or later in the day, and you can't imagine that Jesus would accept you because of your past. Why not consider suspending your disbelief and entertaining at least the possibility that if he did it for Peter, if he did it for one of his closest disciples, then in his time of greatest need, denied him that he can offer you a second chance. And maybe for you it's not just a second chance, but maybe it's a third chance or a fourth chance or a fifth chance. He's extending that invitation to follow him once again, to maybe make that small step of faith, that small motion of moving the nets from one side to the other, that brave decision to put on that that other garment and make that wild decision to dive back into the sea and swim to the shore. Maybe for you it's just one small act of obedience that's keeping you from really thriving in your faith walk. And I want to pray for you right now. Father, I pray for those who are listening, whether they're already Christ followers or whether they have not accepted you as their Savior quite yet. Father, I pray that you would be with each and every one of us, myself included, who needed a second chance. And God, that's all of us. We all need that second chance. And Father, I pray that we would realize that you are for us, that you have accepted us, that you don't whisper the same lies as the evil one, that you don't have the same attitude as those that we've hurt here on this earth, that you offer the open hand of reconciliation to us no matter where we are. You offer that open hand of restoration 
wherever we are. And Father, I pray for the one or two or many who are listening who needed to hear that today. God, I pray your blessing over them. God, I pray that they would walk in your freedom. I pray that they would walk in obedience. God, I pray that they would open themselves up to you, that they would look at you and go, yes, you, Lord, know everything. You know it all. And you love me anyway. God, help us to walk in that forgiveness. Help us to walk in that grace and that mercy. And may we work in that freedom and forgiveness and that grace and that mercy. And may we be used by you once again. Thank you so much for the second chances you gave us after the resurrection. I pray that we would accept it and embrace it and walk fully in your freedom and grace. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.